where exactly is the land of Israel? So we know that the Torah tells us God promised Abraham to give Abraham the land where he was living, the land of Canaan, to his descendants. But So where exactly is that land that God promised to Abraham? Where is it? So you could see on our map, Israel, that's a modern map of modern Israel, thanks to Google Maps. Um, I tried to find existing maps. Um, it was too difficult to create my own. I apologize. And I could not find good maps. So I figured we'll go with Google Maps and hopefully it will work. So I could show you. So where exactly is the land that God promised Abraham? So, so we have a general idea where it is. We know where certain cities are, like Jerusalem, which was an ancient city. We know where it is, of course, um, that were part of the land of Israel. But where exactly are the borders of the promised land? And I guess we could add to that question, do the borders promised to Abraham match the borders of the modern state of Israel? So... Before we get to that, to answer that question, let me just deal with another question first. Does it matter? Does it matter where the ancient borders of Israel are? So yes, it matters for, well, it would, otherwise I wouldn't be giving this class. It matters, it matters for two reasons. Firstly, it matters for our rights to the land. The, our claim to the land of Israel today to modern Israel is based on, and the claim to the land of Israel is not just for Jews living in Israel or Jews with Israeli citizenship, but every Jew can lay claim to the land of Israel. It is our land. It's based on God's promise to our ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to Moses, to our ancestors that left Egypt, that he would give us the land. It is further based on the fact that our ancestors lived and walked in this land. And although we were thrown out of this land many times over, we kept trying to go back. And Jews throughout history as a people have consistently attempted to go back. At no time did we ever give up on our intent to go back. We never let go of it. We always intend to go back. So our claim to the land is based on the promise given to us and where we lived. So where we, we need to know where that actually is. Secondly, there are a lot of Jewish laws that specifically involve the land of Israel. For example, all produce that is grown in the land of Israel must have tithes, maser, separated from it. Some given to the Kohen, some given to the Levite, and they must be separated before they are eaten. When you go to the fruit store here... You can go to the fruit store, buy fruit. It is 100% kosher. We have a class coming up in a few weeks about um, are all fruits and vegetables kosher? Not, not necessarily. It's more complicated. But generally, we could buy fruit and vegetables. We'll talk about that when we get to that class on August 25th. But for now, um, generally, fruits and vegetables are kosher. You can go to the fruit store and buy or the supermarket and buy fruits and vegetables. The open air market. But in Israel, you cannot because in Israel it is not kosher unless the tithes were properly separated. And therefore, when you go to Israel, you'll see every fruit stand and every fruit store has a kosher certification over it, saying there is some certifying agency 
um, that is at a mashkiach that is certifying that this fruit stand or this fruit store is kosher. Yes? Does that mean when we go to a kosher store and buy fruit that that fruit has, has been, the tithes have been given? If it's in Israel. Outside of Israel, it doesn't exist. Outside of Israel, you can buy fruits and vegetables anywhere. So produce made in the land of Israel, grown in the land of Israel must have tithes separated. In addition, the land, in the, the land of Israel is not allowed to be worked once, once every seven years for the entire year. This is known as the Shemitah or the sabbatical year. Every seven years, the land must lay fallow. That's a law that still applies today. And every seven years, the land of Israel cannot be worked. Anything grown in anything that grows in Israel during that year has special rules. Ketushat Shviit. So, to because of these special laws that apply to the land of Israel, it's important to know exactly where the land of Israel is. If you are technically outside of the land of Israel, even if you are in modern Israel you would still be able to keep, uh, you would still, you would not have to worry about the tithes and the Shemitah. If you are outside of modern Israel, but in ancient Israel, you would still have to worry about these rules. Yes, Susan? Sorry, I have two questions. One is that I, I didn't quite understand in order for a, a fruit to be kosher, it has to be separated. Tithes have to be given. In other words, you have to take some of the fruit and give to the Kohen, some of the fruit has to be given to the Levite, there's tithes. Yeah, we could do tithes. So, um, and then let's do a class on tithes. My second question, really quick. Sure, go. So, the land stays fallow when you're 37. Does that mean the entire land of Israel? Entire land of Israel. No. Entire land of Israel must stay fallow. Stephen and then. Okay. So, don't the Israelis that live in what would not be Israel of ancient times still keep, let's say, one day of Yoga? That's the other law. I didn't get to that. I'm about to. I didn't get a chance yet. Pamela. Outside of Israel, are we still, are we still one year No, only in the land of Israel. So th- that's why we need to know exactly where the land of Israel is. Tithes only apply in Israel. Shemitah, the sabbatical, only applies in Israel. Yes. That is a very good question. It is complicated. It's debated in among Jewish scholars as to whether they are or they're not. Generally, we say yes. In other words, we can't eat their fruit if they don't follow those rules. So, so then there's also another important rule that Stephen just brought up, which is outside of Israel, every holiday has an extra day, two days. In Israel, the holidays have only one day. So that's another difference between Israel and outside of Israel. So where exactly is the land of Israel? So we can actually, if we want to identify the land of Israel, there are actually six different ways, at least, there's many more, but I'm going to focus on six, that we could use, like every, I guess, question in Judaism, the answer is it's complicated. So there are six different ways that we can identify the land of Israel. First, we have the land that was promised to Abraham. Then we have the land promised to Moses. Then we have the actual land captured by Joshua and the people of Israel. Then we have the land controlled by David and Solomon. Then we have the province of Judea during the second temple period. And then we finally have modern Israel. 
So those are a lot of different ways that um, we can identify Israel. I will try in the time left to identify as much as I can. So now, how do we know where the borders are for each of these historic periods? So most of these borders, from the ancient earlier times, of course, are described in Tanakh, in scripture, or in um, Midrash, or in Talmud. Now, they're described sometimes by topographic things, rivers, mountains, things that can be identified sometimes. Sometimes they're described by names of places. So as long as we lived in the land of Israel, we knew exactly where everything was because we lived there continuously. We Jews lived there continuously until about the 300s. In the 300s, with the rise of Christianity and Christians controlled Israel, Jews were really not allowed to live in Israel or they lived in Israel under great persecution in very few numbers. And so as a result, we really lost track of the many places um, Israel, over the next thousand years after that, went through many, many, many wars. It was under Byzantine control, then on, for a short while under Persian control, then back under Byzantine, then under Arab control, then under different groups of Arabs, um, then later the Mongols invaded. Uh, so it fell, the Crusaders came, a couple different groups of Crusaders came. So for about 300 um, until about the 1200s, it was under constant movement from one to another. There were Jews living in Israel throughout much of that period on and off. They came when they could, and then they were killed or kicked out. Um, and only really from the 1200s when um, Saladin, who was an Egyptian um, ruler... Saladin could, was a Kurd. Sorry? Saladin was a Kurd. A Kurd, but ruling from Egypt. Ruling from Egypt, but his... Ancestry was okay, I did not know that. I learned something new. Thank you. So uh, Saladin was Kurdish. So, um, so for when Saladin captured Israel, it then remained fairly stable. Not entirely, but it remained eventually. It fell under Ottoman rule, um, and then in modern times under others. But it remained fairly stable, and there's been a fairly stable population in Israel since about the 1200s. Problem is that from the 300s till the 1200s, that's a period of close to a thousand years where we didn't have continuous presence, and so we lost track of a lot of the places. Some of the more known places, Jerusalem, Hebron, Shechem, the Christians, Muslims, everybody knew exactly where they were, but a lot of the other places were hard to track. How do we know um, where they are? So in the early 1300s, there was a French scholar. Jews were kicked out of France in the early 1300s. There was a French scholar. We don't know his name, but he goes by the pen name of Eshtori Haparchi. And um, he published a book. He moves to Israel. And um, he was known as the French scholars of that period are known as the Tosafot. Um, and so he comes to Israel. And he spends the rest of his life um, traveling the width and breadth of Israel, trying to identify all of the biblical, Mishnaic, Talmudic places in Israel exactly where they are. And he published a book called Kaftor Vaferach, which was the first book of its kind that we had that identified, based on what was then Arabic, it was under Arab rural Arabic names of different places, exactly where everything is. 
After Kaftar Vaferach was published in the 1300s, it took another 500 years before anybody did another thorough research, academic research, to try to figure out where um, everything in Israel is. Um, in the early 1800s, there was a German scholar, Jew- German Jewish scholar, called uh, Rabbi Yosef Schwartz, who, uh, pub- who traveled to Israel and also spent many years studying the land. And he published a book called Tfuot Haaretz, where he identifies many places in Tanakh and later periods, um, often based on the Kaftor of Aferach, a story Haparchi, very often disagreeing with him. And these two scholars, Ashtoria Parchi of the 1300s and um, Rabbi Yosef Schwartz in the early 1800s, are considered the main scholars or the main fathers of biblical geography. And they are the ones that we really use as a basis to identify the places that um, in ancient Israel where exactly they were. Of course, since then, that field has grown and there are many universities today that have whole departments dealing with um, biblical geography or geography of the Mid- ancient geography of the Middle East. So where exactly, now so we know our sources, where exactly is the land of Israel? So as we mentioned, there are a lot of different ways we could define the land of Israel. Let us start with the land promised to Abraham. So God promises Abraham, God brings Abraham to the land of Canaan, and he promises Abraham, I will give your, your descendants this land, the land that you are on, the land of Canaan. And God gives, identifies where the land of Canaan will go. The, uh, in the Torah it says, Minahar Mitzrayim ad Hanahar Hagadol Nahar Prat. From the um, river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River. Where is that? Where is that? Where is the river of Egypt? So, many people would think the river of Egypt is the Nile River. And in fact, many Jewish scholars over the years assume the river of Egypt is the Nile River. Mostly scholars who did not actually live in Egypt, but many did live in Israel or see Israel, but many assumed that it was the Nile River. Problem with that is, to get a nice sense of where the Nile River is, the Nile River, you can see my mouse, is right around here. It has a lot of tributaries at the end, but it ends about over here. where the cursor is, right over here, where I'm putting it. Around here, I mean, this whole area is called the Nile Delta, this whole green area, and the Nile River runs through many, many, it splits up into many, many different um, small rivers around here. So for Israel to stretch into the Nile River, that means that Israel would stretch deep into Egypt. Now, at no point do we find Israel, Egypt being part of Israel. So, um, many... Jewish scholars, Kaftov Aferach, Historia Parchi, notably say it cannot have been the Nile River. And they note that later, and we'll get to it when God tells, gives Moses borders, he doesn't use the word Nahar Mitzrayim, the river of Egypt, but Nachal Mitzrayim. Nachal means the stream of Egypt. Not the river of Egypt, but the stream of Egypt. Now, where is the stream of Egypt? So, Estoria Parchi believed 
that the stream of Egypt, and scholars have widely accepted this, that the stream of Egypt is a place called, sorry, Wadi El Arish. So Arish today is over here. You see Arish. Arish is called the capital of the Sinai. Sinai is a district in Egypt today. Arish is the largest city in the Sinai. Arish is on the Mediterranean border, and it is on the Mediterranean coast, and there is a stream that runs through the Sinai Desert, the northern Sinai Desert, and goes into the Mediterranean at Arish. It's called the Arish Stream. So the southern border of Israel was then Arish. And presumably the southern border of Israel would essentially run a line, as we'll see soon, from Arish, as you can see my cursor, all the way over to the Dead Sea. That was what was promised to Abraham. That would have been the southern border, a border that would go from here till about here. We'll get into more details of the southern border soon. Uh, when yeah. they from the river to the sea, I will get to that in a moment. Okay, so now where's the northern border? So to get you, give you a sense of where the northern border is, the Torah is very clear, the Euphrates River. Where is the Euphrates River? So the Euphrates River is in northern Syria, and it is all the way up. It passes through Iraq, goes around through around here, it goes up here through northern Syria, and then cuts up north into Turkey. Since this area about over here in northern Syria is the Euphrates River, presumably that was the northern border. So, if we want to put it in larger terms, um, we have a French word that um, we have a French word we use in geography to call the Levant. Levant just means the east in French, and it is a term for the east coast of the Mediterranean. So Mediterranean is this long, narrow strip that goes from Spain all the way to the Middle East. And the east coast of the Mediterranean is called the Levant. Essentially, Israel, as promised to Abraham, is the land going from Arish, which is about over here where my cursor is, all the way up to the Euphrates River about over here. So it's the entire Levant. Now, it wouldn't co cover eastern Syria or Jordan. That's all desert. Nobody lived there. But it would be the coastal area along the entire Levant. That's what was promised to Abraham. Um, the Arabs, by the way, love this part of the Torah. They quote it all the time because you could Google it. Um, they write about it on blogs because they believe that we are secretly trying to capture all these lands for modern Israel. So, but that is the land promise. But isn't, isn't that, in, you know, just like they have their intents with caliphates, isn't that in a sense our focus? Theoretically, theoretically, yes, we believe when Moshiach comes we will. Practically, I don't think Israel has such designs currently planned. <laughs> okay, so now God promises, God promises Abraham also the land of ten nations. Later, God's going to promise, and he lists ten nations. Later, God's going to promise Moses' land of seven nations. Meaning that Abraham was promised three extra nations that Moses was not promised. The names of the three nations that Abraham was promised was Cani, Kenizi, and Kadmoni. Where are these nations that Abraham was given that later was not given to Moses? So there are a number of different opinions. 
One view it is, is that it is Arabia, Salamia, and Nabatia. Now, Salamia we don't know. Arabia and Nabatia we know. That's the Arabian Peninsula down here. So somehow Abraham was promised part of the Arabian, Arabian Peninsula. There are other views that say that it is, there's another view in the, in the um, Mishnah that says that it is um, Asia, or anglicized we would say Asia, Aspamia, and um, Turgama. Um, Asia, Asia, in Roman times would have been what we call today Asia Minor. That's this area up here was promised to Abraham. There's a third opinion in the... Um, Rabbi, it's very difficult for us to see here. Right over here. By Turkey, by Syria. Yeah, Turkey up here. Okay. Turkey up here. Okay. Yep. It's difficult for the whole world to see that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so now there is a third view, which is very interesting, that says that the lands that Abraham was promised that was not promised to Moses are actually lands right next to Israel, the lands of Edom, Ammon, and Moab. Edom, if you can see my cursor, was a nation, descendants of, um, sorry, descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother, that lived south of the Dead Sea. This area over here, if you can see my cursor. And uh, that's um, where the, later they were, the Romans called them Ibdumians, um, that lived in this area south of the Dead Sea. Moab was a nation that lived east of the Dead Sea, and Ammon was a nation that lived in the mountains east of the Jordan River. So these are all within the area that would really be part of Israel. They were promised to Abraham, and they were given to Abraham's descendants. Edom is a descendant of Esav, the grandson of Abraham. Ammon and Moab are both descendants of Lot, Abraham's nephew, also part of the family. So they were given to Abraham, but not to Moses, because they were for other branches of the family. Regardless, what did God promise to Moses? So in the book of Exodus, God tells Moses that he will give him miyam suf ad yam plishtim o mimidbar ad hanahar from the Red Sea to the Philistine Sea, from the desert to the river. The Red Sea is down over here by the port of Eilat. That would be at least the Gulf of Aqua. That's the Red Sea. The Philistine Sea presumably is the Mediterranean. So the area going from here to here, from the desert. This is all desert south over here until the river. Which river? Generally in scripture when it says the river, it refers to the largest river in the Middle East, the most prominent river, which was the Euphrates, which as we know is up here. So presumably that's what he was promising Moses. So why didn't David try to conquer all of that if it's there? Let's, we'll get to David in a moment. Hopefully we have time. We might go a little over time. I apologize. So... In this week's Parsha, though, God gives Moses some real borders, gives him some set, tells him exactly where the real land of Israel is, where exactly they have to conquer, and it gives us in very great detail. The only problem is that, and it gives us many, it gives us towns, the border goes from this town to this town, from this place to that place. It gives us many great detail exactly where the borders are. And so 
The only problem is we have to be able to find all those spots mentioned in this week's reading of where the border is. So the Torah tells us in this week's reading that the southern eastern border is south of the Dead Sea. That's right over here where my cursor is over here. You can see that. Uh, we'll go a little bigger so you can... What they do before Google Maps, I don't know. So it's right over here, south of the Dead Sea. From there, the border heads southwest. And it goes to Kadesh Barnea. Where is Kadesh? Kadesh is where Israel camped temporarily before they sent the spies. Where exactly is Kadesh? We don't know exactly where Kadesh is. We know it is the southern border of Israel, uh, the southern tip of Israel. Exactly where it is, we don't know. It's thought to be around Nitzan, Nitzana today, which is in over here in modern Israel. So around over here, that would have been the southern border of Israel. So it would go from the Dead Sea southwest till about here. Um, some think Kaddish may be somewhere else. Exactly where Kaddish is, we don't know. The exact southern tip, we don't know. From there, we're told it continues on and heads north. Um, it heads northwest to the um, Nachal Mitzrayim, to the stream of Egypt, which we've already identified as the Arish, Wadi Al-Arish, the Arish stream, which, is, which pours into the Mediterranean right over here. So essentially, the border went from Arish to the Dead Sea. Um, you can see Arish over here and the Dead Sea over here. But it went, there's a southern tip, which is somewhere down here, exactly where the southern tip is, we don't know. So that would be our southern border of Israel. As you can see, modern Israel goes much, much further south, stretching all the way down to the Red Sea and the port of Eilat. But the Israel that was given promise to Moses didn't go that far. It rather went from the Dead Sea to Arish, um, but with a southern corner a little bit further south. How far further south? We don't know exactly where that southern tip was. Rabbi, there's a big tourist thing in uh, Jordan called Petra. Petra is in what was ancient Edom. But wasn't that something to do with Shlomo? That was Idumean. That was ancient Edom. So it has nothing to do with Shlomo. So even though they say it does. I don't know what they say. I'll get to Solomon soon. We're going to run over time. I apologize. Okay. So now, the western border is really easy, the Torah tells us. The western border is the Mediterranean. Can't go wrong over there. Where does the western, how high does it go? How far north does it go? Right? Mediterranean, everyone can see. Hard to miss. Where does the northern border go? So the Torah tells us that the northern border goes till Har Hahar. Har Hahar means a double mountain. There is a double mountain that overlooks the sea. It's a mountain that rises from the sea. Where is this mountain that rises from the sea? So the Talmud gives us some other names from this mountain. Notably, the Talmud gives us the name of Amana. Amana is the name of the name in Talmudic times, in Roman times, of the mountain to the north that rises from the sea that is the northwestern tip. Where is Amana? So, Eshtoria Parchi in Kaftav Aferach offers two options. 
Possibly, he says, Amana is what is today known as the, as the Amanos Mountain. That's a mountain by that name. Amanos Mountain is... Amanos Mountain is all the way up here. It's all the way up here. It overlooks the sea right about here. At the very north, north of the Mediterranean coast. So that would mean, that's Turkey, by the way. Sorry, here, this area. You see it? Are there two mountains there? Sorry? It's a double mountain, apparently. I have not been there, but that's what Storia Parchi says. So that is one possibility. That is the northwestern border, which would be very similar where of the area where Abraham was told. Right? This over here is the um, Euphrates River. It's going around the Euphrates River. That was the northern border that Moses, to, that Moses was told you're supposed to conquer. One view. The other view that would be, we're told, it is um, north of um, ancient Anti um, Antioch. Antioch was a major um, Roman city, um, which is right over here. And it is north of, um, Astoria Parchia identifies it as north of Latakia, which is a city in northern Syria, major city over here. So it's north of that, very north. That's the land given to Moses. There is, however, he offers another option. He says maybe it was much further south than that. He says maybe it was much further south and it was a mountain area just south of Tripoli. Tripoli is, yeah, all the way Lebanon, right? All the way, sorry, down over, Trip, there's two Tripolis. Tripoli, Tripoli's in Lebanon right over here. He puts it as south of Tripoli, south of Lebanon. From there, the border goes. So we have, if you want to see a bigger map over here, we have two options of where the border was. Either the northern border was up here. You can see my cursor. Or it was down here. Either way, much higher than today's northern border of Israel. From there, the border went... Eastward to Lavo Hamat. Lavo Hamat is the road to Homs. Homs was one of the three ancient towns of Syria. Um, Syria has three ancient towns Damascus, Homs, and Aleppo. They kind of straight north south, and so it goes to the road to Homs. So either if the northern border is over here, then it would move eastward to the road to Homs over here. If the northern border was up here, sorry. If the northern border was up here, it would move eastward to the road to Homs over here. Which one is it? We don't know for certain. But we do know what Abraham was promising Euphrates River. We don't know for certain where it is, but we actually have two other ways we could identify the borders of Israel. The north-south borders, that is. What are the other ways we could identify the north-south borders? So, firstly, we're told something very interesting in the Torah. The Torah says there were three cities of refuge in Israel. What are the three cities of refuge? Hebron, Shechem, 
and Kadesh. And we're told the following. So we're going to move all the way down south now, down to what we know as, modern, as Israel today. And we're going to find Hebron and Shechem. So we're told that, um, here we go, make it a little bit, there. They call it Nablus in um, the Roman name for Shechem is over here. And Hebron is over south. south of Jerusalem, right over here. Okay? Here, you could probably see them both now. Hebron and Nablus. And then north of that, there's another city of refuge called Kadesh of Naphtali. We don't know where Kadesh is today, but we know where Hebron is and we know where Shechem is. That we're certain of. We're told as follows. The distance from Hebron to, Shechem, to Nablus is this to Shechem, is the same as the distance from Shechem to Kadesh. Same distance. We're told further that the distance from Hebron to the southern border is the same as the distance from Hebron to Shechem, is the same distance as the distance, because it was all even. They, made the, they put three in the middle, so they're the same distance. Same distance as Shechem to Kadesh, same distance as Kadesh to the northern border. How far are they? from each other. How far is Hebron? So if we know how far Hebron is from Shechem, we can then calculate the rest. So we know Hebron is about 50 miles or about 70 kilometers from, or 70 um, plus kilometers from Shechem. So if we go, so we know then the southern border is 50 miles south of Hebron. 50 miles south of Hebron would put the um, southern border right around over here, where we said earlier, around Nitzana. It would then be, remember this 50 miles then going from Shechem to Kadesh in Naphtali, and then another 50 miles to the northern border, it would be 100 miles north of Shechem. So if we went 100 Shechems around over here, if we went 100 miles north of Shechem, that would end up just... Um, south of Beirut, um, just around over here. That's where it would end up. So anyway, possibly that was the northern border. We don't know if that 50 miles is exact. Um, that would have been the um, northern border. We also have a, another way of identifying the southern and northern borders, and that is by knowing the latitude. We are told, we have a tradition that the latitude of Israel goes from 30 degrees to 35 degrees latitude. 30 degrees latitude would put us about over, sorry, 30 degrees latitude would put us about over here where we were before, right? As the southern border of Israel, if you can see my cursor. Um, 35 degrees latitude would put us about over here again in this area south of Tripoli over here. So that's presumably where the borders were. Um, I see I'm running over time. I can continue or um, should we keep going? Okay, because we've got a lot more. All right, now in addition to that, they also captured east of the Jordan River. Sorry, they were also given east of the Jordan River. What did they end up taking actually east of the Jordan River? So to move back to where we were before, There we go. There you go. Where do they get east of the Jordan River? So we're given actually a southern border of their area east of the Jordan River. The southern border, the southern border is the Arnon. The Arnon is a stream um, that 
flows into the Dead Sea. It's about over here. There's a stream flowing into the Dead Sea. That was the southern border. South of that was Moab. They then had essentially a thin strip that did not include Ammon, because Ammon, which is modern-day Amman, um, was its own nation. So they had a thin strip along the Jordan River up to Amman. And then at some point, it spread out and went um, pretty far eastward. And it covered this entire mountainous area, including the Golan Heights, which is over here, the Bashan, and it covered this entire mountainous area um, over here that was known then as the Gilad. And today, um, it's mostly Druze living in this larger area, but this would have been the Gilad, the eastern border, the e over the Jordan River part of um, Israel. What did they actually end up capturing? So they didn't actually end up capturing anywhere near as much as Moses told them to capture. For one, they did not manage to capture Philistine land. Philistine land was a strip along what today is the Gaza Strip that went all the way up to Ashdod, which is about over here. So this whole strip along the coast, they didn't manage to capture. They also didn't manage to capture a northern strip that included Tyre and Sidon, which is this whole northern strip among the coast, along the coast. They also didn't manage to capture. How far north did they end up capturing? So we are given their northern border as Dan. Dan was the northern border, the city of Dan. The northern border is about where the northern tip of Israel is today, right over here. So in the days of the first, uh, in the original days of Joshua, the area of Israel they captured would have covered the northern border from Dan all the way down to Beersheba, which is usually. They, um, in, in biblical times, Israel was referred to as an area from Dan to Beersheba, which would go again from here until here. And it would not include the coast over here, which was Philistine land. It would not include the northern coast, which was um, belonged to Tyre or Tzur um, or Zidonite land. So it didn't include those coasts. That's what they actually ended up capturing. That's what became in reality the land of Israel. Later, however, King David did capture all these lands. King David captured the lands of Edom, which we said was south over here, land of Moab, which was to the east of the Dead Sea over here, the land of Ammon, the Philistine lands he captured. And then he moved north. He captured Tyre um, up north over here. He captured Damascus in Syria, which was then called Aram. And he captured all the way up to the Euphrates River. So King David did own the lands up to the Euphrates River, although they were never really settled by Jews. They owned them, but they weren't settled by Jews. King Solomon later extended that, and he built a port along the Dead Sea, along the Red Sea, sorry. So he actually built a port right over here by the port of Eilat. Someone earlier mentioned Solomon. He built a port right down over here. So the area that Solomon controlled went from the Red Sea port of Eilat, um, then called Etzion Gaver, all the way up to the Euphrates River. This was a land controlled by Solomon. Okay. But it wasn't all inhabited by Jews. There were other nations living within that land um, that, um, that was not inhabited by Jews.
Later, the land of Israel was split into two. Um, it was split between a northern, northern Israel and southern Israel, sorry. The split, um, they lost all the lands that were not, sorry. They lost the lands that were not Jewish, the south, the north, they lost all that. Israel was eventually split into two. The split was between Jerusalem and Samaria, which was around, the town of Samaria was around over here. So the split was kind of right, a little bit north of Jerusalem, the southern part being the Judea, the northern part being the land of Israel. Um, and that, that split lasted for about 200 years. Later, Israel is captured by other nations. Eventually, Jews are allowed to go back and rebuild the temple, and the Persians create the province of Judea. Where is this province of Judea that the Persians created? Um, so we know that the province of Judea went along the coast as far south as Ashkelon. Ashkelon is a little bit north of the Gaza Strip. And it went as far north as Kaziv. Where is Kaziv? So Kaziv is a little bit north of Akko. Akko is just north of Haifa over here. So if we go closely, you'll probably be able to see the names. Um, here we go. So here is Ashkelon. Uh, remember, this was not captured during the first temple period. Um, and up to here was the border of Israel during the, um, along the coast at least, during the second temple period. Its northern border would have gone up to a, a little bit north of um, Acre or ancient Akko, probably around where the border of Israel and Lebanon is today. So that was where the actual land of Israel was. Um, we, of course, the, it, it probably went further north and further south as you went inland. Exactly how far, we don't know. When modern Israel was created, the borders of Israel didn't exist at all. There were no borders. In fact, the Romans called it Syria Philistina. And since Roman days, um, there was the entire Levant, in other words, the entire eastern coast of the Mediterranean was essentially one area, was one geographic area. There was no split, as we have today, between Israel, Syria, um, as you'll see here as I make the map larger. These splits between different countries did not exist. So when the, um, but when Zionism began, the Jewish agency, which was the major body, the Sochnot, the, ma the main body of the Zionist movement, um, did identify what they would like to see, the land of Israel, and the borders that they would like to see. And they wanted certain things to be part of the borders of Israel. They wanted to the south, they would have liked to see the a Red Sea port. Red Sea port, very important, because then they have access, ship, a boat access, to the east, very important for trade. They also wanted to make sure that the Kinneret, which is the Sea of the Galilee, which is a very important water source, um, is part of Israel. They saw Israel as being both sides, of course, of the Jordan River, not including the desert, but both sides of the Jordan River. And they would have liked to see Jordan go northward, at least, until, at least as far north as the Litani River. Litani River is the largest river in the Levant area, uh, without going up to the Euphrates. Um, it's a little bit north of Tyre. It's between Tyre and Sidon. Um, it's about over here. There's a river called the Litani River. It comes down from the mountains, a very big river. It's a great water source. If Israel had the Litani River, they would never have to worry about water. 
So in the map that they drew, um, it went from north of the, from the Litani River all the way down to the Red Sea. That was what they would have liked. Um, during World War I, the Allies promised the um, Zionists, they thought they'd get Jewish support, they promised they would give them the mar a state in Israel, uh, and so they presented this map to the British as what they would like to see the land of Israel. In fact, at one point, there was also a movement to create an Arab na nation. Arab small states didn't exist. And um, Faisal, who was the son of then the emir of Mecca, um, who was the leader of the Arab nationalist movement, had a plan to create, make a massive Arab state covering the entire Middle East. Um, what happened was, though, unknown to them, and they actually, Chaim Weizmann and King Faisal, as he called himself, um, actually created borders of their state, they would recognize each other's state, and they signed an agreement that there would be a state of Israel, which would go from the Litani River down to the Red Sea, and cover, of course, both sides of the Jordan River, and um, the rest of the Middle East would be an Arab state um, led by King Faisal, um, the son of the Emir of Mecca, and they signed an agreement. Uh, however, unknown to them, Two allied nations, France and Britain, signed their own agreement. <laughs> they signed an agreement called the Sykos-Picot Agreement. It was a secret agreement that the Russians, after they switched sides in the middle of World War I, let the world know about. It was a secret agreement that essentially split the Middle East north and south, or the Levant north and south, giving the northern Levant to France and the southern Levant to the British. Where did they draw the border? They drew the border right over here between Tyre and Haifa. So right over here, right where the border, that's exactly where they drew the border, running straight across. That's where they drew the border. And because of that, um, Faisal was kicked out of Syria and kicked out of his Arab um, out of his Arab nation, out of his Arab country that he tried to create. Um, and the British and French went about reshaping the Middle East according to their colonial whims. Um, they made Faisal happy by giving him a new country they carved out called Iraq. Uh, Faisal's brother, Abdullah, was a little unhappy. And so they gave him um, the eastern part of what, was, what had been called the Mandate of Palestine. They called that Jordan, Transjordan, the other side of the Jordan River. They gave that to him. That's this, Transjordan. They gave that to him, make him happy. Um, the um, French then, um, the French then uh, split Syria into many different parts, which eventually became Syria and Lebanon, but they split into many different parts that they could control it. Now, the Zionists were very unhappy because um, they were not going to get the Litani River to the north, right over here which they really needed for, as a water source. Um, and in fact, the um, Jews had actually made a settlement right up here called Metula. They made a settlement right over here, which is right near the Litani River, in order to be able to lay claim to that land. They made this prior to World War I. And so they complained, and so as a kind of agreement, they said, you know what, we're not going to give you the Litani River. What we could do is we give you a little strip a little tongue that sticks out over here that could include Metula into the British mandate for Palestine so it won't be under French rule. So you'll have this little thin strip that sticks out over there. 
Um, and so that's why Israel has this little strip where Kiryat Shmona is today um, that kind of runs alongside Lebanon. Um, they didn't end up getting the Litani River. They very much wanted it. Um, they did, though, get the Red Sea, um, the Red Sea port of Eilat. The British wanted access to it, too, um, as part of the Mandate of Palestine, so it was in their interest to take it. And so they seized the port of Eilat, and they called that the British Mandate for Palestine. Um, later, Israel was split between um, by the UN between uh, what was going to be an Arab and Jewish state. The mandate for Palestine was split, and, um, and the, they were able to convince the UN negotiators to allow Israel to get again the southern port, port of Eilat, which Solomon had controlled but was not part of the land given to Moses or controlled, uh, or controlled by Israel during any other period. Very important place, though, because it helps it's Israel's lifeline to the east. Um, they did not get the northern part that they had wanted, the Litani River, or the east bank of the Jordan River. Um, originally, they, didn't, they lost much of central Israel, called the West Bank, um, was lost. Israel didn't get that either. Jordan captured it. Uh, then in the Six-Day War, they captured it. Israel captured it back. Today, it's um, debated, hotly debated. Um, Levi Eshkol, the prime minister during the Six-Day War, um, was hoping, the one nation that he was hoping would enter the war was <coughs> Lebanon. He said, as soon as Lebanon fires at Israel, they are going to march in and capture the Litani River. And that's because Levi Eshkol spent his political life um, ensuring Israel's water sources. That was his kind of lifelong dream to make sure that Israel doesn't have any water problem. He created Israel's water carrier, um, a water system. And so he really wanted that Litani River. And so he was waiting for the Lebanese to attack. Unfortunately for him, or maybe fortunately for them, they never did. Uh, but they did <coughs> capture the Golan Heights, um, which overlooks from Syria, um, which has since been annexed to Israel. So anyways, that's modern Israel. They have a sense of where ancient Israel was, where the claims of Israel is, where modern Israel is. Uh, what does that mean for us? Well, now we know where our land is. All the land that was given to Abraham is in theory a land that we would like to get one day. We know where Jews lived as well. We know, of course, the West Bank was always Jewish land. Jews always lived there. Hebron is there. Shechem is there. Important parts of Israel, as well as areas that are today parts of in Lebanon were also once part of Israel, also once important parts of Israel. As we know, the border of Israel did go further north. Um, so that's our land, and um, hopefully we will um, get it one day. We're not going to use violence necessarily for it, but um, God, eventually in the times of Mashiach, we will get that land.